Father God, on this day in which we have celebrated and remembered lives lost over 20 years ago, we have to acknowledge that death is an incredibly powerful force. And yet we are in this room as people of resurrection because we acknowledge that even though death is incredibly powerful, resurrection is more powerful still. And so we pray for our friend Nick and the hundreds of thousands like him who he said have suffered trauma in the wake of those events of the federal bombing, the federal building bombing. And Lord, we ask that your resurrection power would continue to be at work in Nick's life and throughout this city among those who grieve. And we're also aware that those are not the only ones who grieve. There are people in this room who have lost dear ones just this week. And we ask that the comfort of your presence would walk with us, even in the presence of death. And that by your faithfulness and by the power of the resurrected Christ, you would lead us through death into a new kind of living called resurrection. This is our desire and our greatest hope. And we ask that you would do it because only you can. And we ask this together in the name and the spirit of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy. And if you don't know where Deuteronomy is, uh, your Bible has a table of contents, just like every other book. And I've got some friends who have Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand and they will bring you one. And if you are in the first through the fifth grade and you are here, once a month we have a kid's sermon and it's downstairs. And so you can head right out this way if you want to do that. Pastor Hope is waving at you. And you can use the new fabulous room downstairs. Does that sound like a plan? Deuteronomy chapter 5. We're in the series that we're calling uh, Liturgy as Sabbath. And so we're going to read out of the Torah together, and uh, we're going to look at the fourth commandment about Sabbath. Deuteronomy chapter 5, starting with verse 12, and I invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word for us this evening. So hear the word of the Lord from Deuteronomy. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, your oxen and donkeys and other livestock and any foreigners living among you. All your male and female servants must rest as you do. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say together, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, there is one memory that sticks in my head from when I was about nine years old. I will never shake it. 
Our family had just made a move to a new town in order to get my brothers and myself involved in the happenings of this new town and to get transitioned as fast as possible with as few bumps as possible. My parents signed us up for the local swim club. I have one of the original pictures. You might be able to see it here on the wall. Here is another one. Maybe. There it is. The original Michael Phelps, everyone. So swimming was the original traveling sports team for kids. Most of the families who, uh, who had kids that swam spent their weekends in cars and hotels and on pool decks. I can still... No matter where I am, if I smell the chlorine, I can name the place that it smells like. So as this little nine-year-old, I got pretty good. I was fabulous, in fact. In fact, I qualified for the Junior Olympics in three events. There in my first year, 50-yard backstroke, the 50-yard breaststroke, and the 50-yard freestyle. But there was only one problem. And that was this, that in our family, there was no competitive swimming on Sunday, even if you qualified for the Junior Olympics. My parents let me know that we observed the Sabbath on the Lord's Day. We'd go to worship, and then we would take the day off. And I remember this was not an easy decision for them. This was a real struggle. The other parents thought they were out of their minds. One lady cornered my mom and yelled at her, telling her she was a horrible parent. But my parents would use this line with me. They would say, we're just a different family. We don't do everything like everybody else does. Jews and Christians alike throughout the ages have been seen to be different throughout the years. And I'll be honest with you, as a nine-year-old, I did not understand this. I was embarrassed No one would understand, none of my friends, my coaches, nobody would understand why my parents said, no, sorry, we're not going to swim, it doesn't matter if you qualified, we are going to worship. So I remember, for some reason, I don't know why this memory is in my mind, but I remember this woman at my church, she was kind of a crotchety mean lady. And she said that Christians don't do things like swim on Sundays because if Jesus died on the cross for your sins, then at least you could do is suffer for him for one day. (laughs) So, (laughs) that didn't exactly make sense to me, but whatever. If the Sabbath or as the Jews called it, Shabbat, is about creating manua, or a type of restfulness that is celebration, then it came hard to me. Really hard. The way that I would have said it when I was nine was this. I think we're just plain weird. And I think we're still weird. Now, I've studied Sabbath observation this whole week. I've read so many books about it. I've I've tried to practice it, and I've come to this conclusion. It's a really weird thing to do. Not only that, it's hard. Most people that I know can't even take a full day off from work, let alone observe the Sabbath. There is too much to do, too many obligations, too much on the line. Sabbath observance could lead to conflict, or it could even lead to unemployment. 
We might, if we actually take Sabbath seriously, show weakness to our competitors, let up for one moment, and we're dead. Ray Kroc, who's the late owner of the McDonald's franchise, said this, if my competition was drowning, I'd stick a hose in his mouth and I'd turn on the water. We can't risk it. When I was a little kid, there was this commercial for Dunkin' Donuts on TV. This older, pudgy guy with a mustache, I got a picture of him here, would get up in the middle of the night, every single night, he would be completely exhausted, and he repeated these words constantly. Time to make... Some of you have seen the commercial. That's... America for you folks. We need our hamburgers and we need our donuts and we need them 24 hours a day. We need them whenever we want them. So what we do is we keep driving. We press creation to the brink. Cattle, crops, rainforest, butcher them up, chop them down. It's the price that you have to pay for ambition and success. And as a practice, Sabbath observation just seems way too far beyond reality. It's way too far beyond what real people in the real world are actually capable of. There are obligations, deadlines, due dates. You have to be a high-octane person to live in this high-octane world. The summer is nearly here. School will start in the fall in what seems like 10 minutes. Kids grow up at lightning speed. Graduations come in a rush. Soon there'll be wedding planning, and we're grandparents in no time. The great theologian Ferris Bueller said it like this, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. The world is changing at breakneck speed. Now the 10 that were given to the people here in Deuteronomy that had They had just escaped a a geopolitical conflict that was on the edge. I mean, it was was flirting with all-out genocide. The Hebrew children found their way out of this land of Egypt by the hand of a god. And in that land of Egypt, they were controlled by gods that never saved, that valued production, materialism, and power. And now these people had been set free, and they're being ushered into a new land of opportunity and affluence and safety. The story that is the Exodus, uh, the story that we read about here in Deuteronomy, is really this story of this cosmic showdown between gods that, that played things out in real time. The gods of Egypt represented in Pharaoh versus the god of the Hebrew children. Who will take charge of the planet is the question. A Pharaoh who was the god in charge of Egypt, had developed this sophisticated media, this educational, political, and military system in order to ensure and establish total dominance and authority. And Pharaoh had his Ten Commandments. Design, produce, create, build, distribute, make, establish, export, secure. And above all, sacrifice. Now, the way of these people, 
They, they, they obeyed these commands like they were blind robots. They had blind robotic obedience, whatever it takes, hour after hour, day after day, month after month, year after year. Cultivate an environment of competition built on individualistic, nostalgic, and, and a consumeristic propaganda, which is which is Pharaoh's version of a pyramid scheme. I actually drew it. And watch the people go to work. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. This cosmic showdown happens. And after this cosmic showdown goes down and the Hebrew God proves that he is victorious, he then establishes his Ten Commandments. And at first glance, the Hebrew God doesn't look very much different than the gods of Egypt, than Pharaoh himself. Because command number one, he pops up with this, no other God before me, and I'm numero uno. He commands and he demands complete loyalty. And the people, well, they think, well, we've heard this before. He says, make me first. No other gods before me. Don't build images of me crafted in stone. Watch out about the way, watch out uh, how, how you talk about me. In an interview with Billy Graham, uh, I, I heard Woody Allen ask him, Dr. Graham, don't you think it, that that command seems a little selfish? Seems like a good question. But I don't want you to forget something else. That this Hebrew God is weird. There are no pyramid schemes. There are no angles. When he says, make me one, keep me first, there's only relationship. The Ten Commandments, if they're seen as a whole, show us that, in fact, this God is nothing Nothing like the gods of Egypt, because the difference is this. Pharaoh wants everything. Pharaoh will go to any length to get what he wants. He'll lie, steal, cheat, kill, all so that he can take. And while, while this Egypt, Egyptian god wants everything, the Hebrew god already has everything. And he says, I am so good. I am so for you. I am so with you. I'm so behind you. I'm so ahead of you. I'm so these things. So I am here to give to you. God is anything but selfish. Instead, God is just generous. And what does this God give? He gives the ability in a sacred and he gives us the ability in a sacred and holy time to be neighborly. Work six days. Do everything that you have to do. But the seventh is a Sabbath. It's a rest day. No work. Not for you, your son, your daughter, your servant, your maid, your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals. Not even the foreigner who visits your town. This God offers relationship, and, and, and if we come under the guise of his gentle guidance, and then when he institutes a Sabbath, he commands us to then make and foster really, really good friendships. Another way to say it is, take a day, a full day, be a good neighbor, 
Honor your parents. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't plot ways to get what your neighbor wants. You know, there are only three commandments of the ten about loving this God and keeping this God priority. This God who is the emancipator and the rescuer and the guardian. And then this God invites us into a new kind of time called Sabbath. And we see that the rest of the commandments are about our neighbors. Cultivating friendships, living well in community. These are commands that, that we're called to nurture one another. Sabbath is essentially about making room for one another. It's about ways to be a neighbor. I've got this friend, and I put friend in quotes in my manuscript because I never see him unless I run into him while he's at work. I miss him. He is, he is on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He's obligated all the time. About six weeks ago, I ran, I, I ran into him by happenstance, and I asked him this question. When are you going to be able to take a day and just hang out with your friends again? And he just gave me this look of hopelessness, and he just looked at me, and he said, not going to happen. And I'll tell you the truth. Our our friendship has been damaged. It's not, it's not irreparable, but it has been damaged. And because we don't have each other anymore, so have our souls. Maybe, maybe it's a weird request to take a day and nurture and foster the relationships you have. Or maybe God, in the middle of these Ten Commandments, gives a mandate where it's okay, one day a week, it's time to stop making the donuts, time to quit driving through the drive through it's time to take a break from the traveling team, time to stop picking up the phone whenever it rings. Sabbath just might be the way in which God wants us to claim our souls back to appreciate the created order as it is, to be and to feel human again. One day a week, he says, make room, enjoy the benefits of neighborliness. This just might be the best gift we've ever been given, and it just might be the best gift we could ever give to another. Sabbath is this salvation when we, when we find that we have a common life together. It's a pattern that begins to sew itself into the fabric of our lives as we practice it week after week, month after month, year after year. I think the worst, things that, the worst thing that a Christian can say to another is this, we should get together sometime because sometimes, most times, it's just Oklahoma friendliness. But the Sabbath commands that we actually do just that. This command, it's not just for you, it's for your children, it's your employees, your volunteer helpers, your hunting dogs, your plow horses, your fields, your migrant workers. It's not, it, it doesn't matter in the least whether, it doesn't matter in the least whether others believe in your God, you do. So guess what? Everybody gets the day off. Anyone who wants to engage in the practice discovers these habits of work and rest that promise life, not only for each of us individually, but also for our families, our communities, our, our neighbors, our systems of justice, our human economies, and our planet. Sabbath, I'm learning is not just about saying no, it's saying yes. 
It's saying yes to a romantic dinner with your spouse at least one time a week. A really romantic one where you don't wear your Apple Watch and you imagine that time doesn't matter. It's where you get to say yes to a day when when you get to talk to your children in a space other than the minivan. It's a way to say yes to spending time with a potential friend, somebody that you've wanted to know. It's a way to say yes to a slow walk with your dog and enjoy the loyalty that he brings. Drink a cup of coffee on the back porch of a friend's house and connect in a deep way. This is God's commandment for us. But not only is it just a way to say yes, it is also a great equalizer. You know, on Sabbath, there's no power suits worn to the park. You can't tell the difference between the guy who made a multi-million dollar deal this week and the guy who picked up his groceries at the local food pantry. Sabbath, leisure on the Sabbath, helps all of us be human with one another again. Sabbath is this art. It's a gift it, does, it, it gives us the gift that art does. It shows us what's really gr- good and meaningful and true in the world. And we get to notice with our senses, our whole being, this good world that is around us. But we also get to notice the vast world that is beyond our immediate senses. Things like love and friendship and hope. As a pastor, I hear these two phrases more than I hear any other. We are so busy. Sorry, Pastor. And then I hear this. We do not have very many friends. I got good news for you. Sabbath is your answer. Embrace it. I've learned that my parents decided to be weird. My mom would set the table on Sunday, she would light the candles. We ate together. They made space to be weird. And without knowing it, I I realized that 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 family became the first little congregation that I experienced. And now, as a pastor leading a congregation, I've come to really appreciate weird. I like it. I want to make space. Weird is a slow obedience. It takes discipline to be weird. Intention, attention preparation. We have already adopted weird practices. We come to worship. We talk to one another for three minutes as a start into what we hope will become really good friendships. We sing together, and we're not even drunk when we do it. It's an amazing thing. We repeat words as if they have come alive in us. We listen to one another's stories. We splash one another with water in baptism. We give our money. We welcome people who are difficult to care for. We gather around a table and claim that this meal shapes us for our good and for the future. And we keep telling this story of this good God in the most creative and imaginative ways that we possibly can. And we go about developing practices, practices like Sabbath, in order to organize our lives around a very specific set of virtues and values, and these virtues are seen best in the person of Jesus. Jesus did not stop Sabbath observation. He was Sabbath observation. If you wanted to see what the Sabbath looked like, you observed Jesus. He loved God. 
He said that he and the Father were one, so as a result, he went to parties. And he worshipped in the temple. And he made new friends. And he loved his enemies. And he walked through gardens. And he had interesting conversations. And then you know what else he did on the Sabbath? He healed people. He became humans again. He called for us to love God and to love our neighbor. And he demonstrated the best of Sabbath by being the very best neighbor to us. And he did so by inviting us to his table. It's at this table where we are called to be good neighbors. It's at this table where we're called to love God and love one another. At this table, we do something very weird. We declare that Jesus is Lord and no other God is. Not the gods of Egypt, not celebrities, not people in power suits or the authorities with the nuclear codes. Instead, we say that this is the one who has broken into our lives and he wants to do the same with creation. And he wants to take this creation and reorder it and put it back to the way in which it was right. I want to let you know, if you haven't figured it out already, that the gospel story is one that is packed with oddities. It's weird. It's alternative. The very nature of the resurrection was a weird event. Stop producing. Cease creating. Trust God. Now, I want to say, as our friends are preparing... One pastoral word to you. If you don't feel like you can do this, and it is hard, the gods of Egypt are alive and well and pull us in to their system like a tractor beam. You can come to this table and you can repent. Eugene Peterson says that repentance is deciding that you have been told a pack of lies about yourself and your neighbors and your world, and it is deciding that God and Jesus is telling you the truth. Repentance is the realization that what God wants for you and what you want from God are not going to be achieved by doing the same old things, thinking the same old thoughts. Repentance is a decision to follow Jesus Christ and become a pilgrim on the path of peace. For some of you, you can't imagine a Sabbath. So I invite you to repent and trust this God who can help you. Jesus called his 12 disciples together around this table. And this week, I want to let you know that as I was preparing myself to come to this table, I've had to repent. And I've had to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and the gods of Egypt are not. And this God is worthy to be trusted. And this Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he said, This is my body, a huge sacrifice for you. You can trust me. Whenever you eat it, I want you to remember me. And then in the same way, after supper, he held up the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. You can trust my promises for you. And whenever you do this, I want you to to do so in affectionate remembrance of me.
This is Jesus' table. All who are open to the good work of God in Christ are welcome to this table. And coming to this table is a declaration that Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again, and he is worthy of our trust. We want no barriers, so I want to let you know that our bread is gluten-free and our wine is non-alcoholic. But I invite you to come down this center aisle with your hands cupped, ready to receive the grace that is good and the grace that comes from God. Here we do not take communion, we receive it. Because all that is Sabbath is a gift. So I want you to listen to what these servers have to say. Dip the bread into the cup, and then eat it. And when you are ready, my friends, you may come. Mm -hmm.